we have definitive proof that Jesus would run the most profitable food catering service of all time. The Apostle Peter finally gets something right, and we find out that the Pharisees, the only thing they're good at is weather reporting. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome, like, subscribe, and comments, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Apologies on uh, being late with this episode. Oh, uh, so, yes. Someone decided to be selfish and get sick. Yes, yes, the Lord the Lord decided to be selfish and make me sick. No. Um, <laughs> we, we know in this day and age that if you ever get sick, it's because you've done something Well, evil. I'm just trying to, you know, you I'm, trying to, I'm trying to love my neighbor and, you know, not get you sick Yes. when I am sick. <laughs> so. But the very act of getting sick shows that you have not appeased the gods uh, well, effectively enough. Yes, that's true. I have not... Uh, so. Yes, that's true. Do, you can you can do better next time. Okay, okay? you can okay. do better. Jesus help me. Jesus. You can earn your salvation. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> uh, Brandon, what are we talking about today? We're talking about the the Gospel of Matthew. Mm. We're, we're in our third week. I mean, this is uh, so good to be in the New Testament. You know, I it mean, is. I love that the Old Testament. Just is a unique kind of fun. Yeah, I think in terms of just going through it at a quick speed, but um, but it's just some great stuff in in this gospel as well. Jesus is a feisty guy. As I was prepping, you know, I'm like. He just keeps getting into fights with people. I wonder right. how we would have how we would think of Jesus today. I really do. Oh, the wait in this culture? Yeah. Well, it's pretty clear they hit him. He's well, that's that's true. That's true. <laughs> but if he was like actually here, you know? Yeah. I just yeah, think like for sure. There'd be a lot of I, I think you're right. I think some you know Christian cultures would be offended at his actions for yeah. sure. He'd be trending on Twitter for sure. Oh, yes. He'd be upsetting people, getting canceled. What's all the Twitter rest. again? It's a yeah, I'll, I'll explain to you some other time. Okay, cool. I know Keith doesn't hasn't he's still in like two thousand three. Uh, when yeah. it comes to to music, taste, social media. and social, yeah, yeah, no, actually, Mikey is in 2003. Oh, <laughs> but respect for that guy. Yeah, Mikey is our intern. So anyway, throw him under the bus. I think he was like born in 2003 too. Something, yeah, but still stuck. Yep, it's all good though. It was, it was the golden era of music, but we can't get into that now either. We gotta get into the Gospel of Matthew. Okay, four Gospels. That's what we're in, but. We're in the Synoptic Gospels right now. Yep, that's right. That's right. Yep. So we're in the Synoptic Gospels. Those are the first three that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, those are the it's called Synoptic because they look at the story of Jesus through the same lens, essentially. Um, so they have the same sort of viewpoint. So they ha- they share a lot of common material. And Matthew in particular has some unique, th- I wouldn't say unique themes, but unique emphases, mm-hmm. things that it emphasizes a little bit more than other Gospels. So mm-hmm. we don't want to say... Oh, the, the deity of Christ is unique to the Gospel of John. That would right. be completely crazy. But it definitely is emphasized more in the Gospel yeah. of John. Or when it comes to kingship, it's in every Gospel as a prominent theme, but Matthew focuses more on it. So some of those things that are these emphases of the Gospel of Matthew, we've seen fulfillment of the Old Testament, and that's going to be true from cover to cover. He's, he's focused on how does Jesus and what he's doing fulfill the Old Testament. We've seen the kingship of Christ, like I mentioned. Um, we saw at the beginning this connection to David. Yeah, and the genealogy. Yeah, so I mean, there's tons of connections there. Um, we see Jesus as the new Israel and as the new Moses. Mm-hmm. So we saw that a lot in the Sermon on the Mount. And then um, this emphasis on the kingdom of heaven. Mm. So uh, those are some of the emphases that we see and themes throughout. And so we're going to yeah, keep going through and, and seeing how those are drawn out in the Gospel of Matthew because it's giving us he's giving us a unique focus, unique angle on the life of Jesus. Awesome. And how is this uh, particular uh, Gospel structured? Yeah, so the first section, the intro, chapters 1 to 3, we saw that genealogy setting up for him as the king. 
and the announcement of the birth. Then we saw the message of the kingdom mm-hmm. in chapters four through seven. Yep. That's that's um, was our focus last time, and then the authority of the king in chapters eight through ten. We're seeing his miracles. He has control over everything, mm-hmm. natural and supernatural. Then we're going to see opposition to the king this week in chapters eleven to thirteen, mm-hmm. and uh, the identity of the king clarified in chapters fourteen to twenty, and then we get to sort of the climax of the book in uh, uh, starting in chapter twenty one, as we see the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man in conflict. Yeah. So 21 to 25, and then the crowning of the king at the very end Mm -hmm. in 26 to 28. Awesome. Yeah. I love the end of the Gospels, how they start to focus in on the, you know, the death and resurrection of Jesus. I think Mm -hmm. those are really cool sections where all the Gospels kind of slow down a bit and focus in. Yeah. I love it. Can't wait. Good reminder how central uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus are to every Gospel. Yeah. That's that's the point of every Gospel. So. Awesome. You want to get in the text? Yeah, let's get into it. So chapter 11, so we're in the section that we're calling opposition to the king. So as Jesus is ministering, he's teaching, we start to see this rising opposition to him. So there's going to be a lot of tension building, yep. and we'll see that a lot next week as well. Um, but it starts with John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is not opposed to Jesus, but he is um, clearly questioning Jesus in this mm-hmm. section. He doesn't know what to make of Jesus. Is he the Messiah? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And um, and look at verse two of chapter eleven. It says when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, "Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another?" That's an amazing question coming from from right. John. I mean, John from the womb. I mean, like as a fetus, he was praising Jesus. Yeah, as we see in the Gospel of Luke. I mean. He is he's built for this. He's called to this. Mm-hmm. That's the whole reason he's here. And he and he's not sure right now because things aren't panning out even as he expected. Right. And so he's now imprisoned, he's suffering, and he wants an answer. And so in verse four, we see a response from Jesus. Jesus answered, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Hmm. So he quotes from Isaiah, and he's saying that his works express a fulfillment. That word's not used explicitly here, but that's the idea, that he's fulfilling right. the purpose of this idea of the, the messianic prophecies. right? And it ends with this challenge from John, or, or challenge to John, I should say, mm-hmm. and to each one of us, by extension, to not be offended by who Jesus is, right. by his identity and by how he works. And so he's sort of expressing, I'm fulfilling the, these Messianic prophecies, but I'm not doing it ha- as you want me to, right. which would include freeing John from jail, of course, <laughs> but he, he's going to work how he's going to work. Yeah. So we see that, I mean, again, not opposition, but doubt. Mm-hmm. But then we do see opposition in the rest of the chapter. right. So in verse 20, um, we see the opposition of unbelief. So he's speaking to cities that have rejected his message mm-hmm. and bringing condemnation on them, saying it'd be better for Sodom on the day of judgment than for these cities who've rejected the gospel. Yeah. So it's just really clear in this passage that rejection of the gospel is a crime of the highest proportions. Mm-hmm. We humans don't think of it that way, of course. Right. We think, oh, I'm just going to believe what I'm going to believe. Right. But to reject this message of Jesus is the worst kind of crime in, in God's justice right. that we could commit. So it's a very serious thing. We see opposition over tradition in chapter 12. He's arguing over the Sabbath mm-hmm. with the, the, the religious leaders. And they accuse him in verses 1 and 2 
of essentially breaking the Sabbath. So what happens in, in verse 1 is his disciples are walking through the field, and they're hungry, so they're plucking heads of grain. So they're just kind of picking at things and eating them. Now, we, we might think that that's stealing mm-hmm. um, to go through someone else's field and to just take some of their crop. But in that day, as we know from the Old Testament, that was allowed, the gleaning laws. Yeah. So think of like Ruth and things like that. You could go through, you could take fruit or take whatever from a person's field, but you couldn't like carry a bunch with you, right? Yeah. You, could, you couldn't like lip, fill up a bunch of baskets, but you could just take something to satisfy your hunger. Right. So they're not breaking the law, but they say, well, but it's a Sabbath and you're doing this on the Sabbath, right? So verse two, the accusation comes from the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. They say, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath because for them, they had this understanding of the categories of work, right? They laid out these certain categories of work that you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And uh, this was considered by them to be reaping, because mm-hmm. you're taking the grain off and then threshing because you're rubbing the husk <laughs> off. So that little movement of your finger, that that minimal exertion of energy, that's considered work yeah, point, in the Pharisees. Points for being thorough, but that's probably not the intent of the law. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it's 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 incredibly stupid. And so what we see, I mean, we see this from all sorts of extra biblical literature. Mm-hmm. But the Pharisees were really concerned about keeping God's law to the point where they added walls of protection around God's law. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just enough, and you can understand this, right? It wasn't just enough to not do the sin. They also had to put a barrier that would keep them from ever getting to the point where they could do the sin, oh. right? So you add layers to keep you from getting to that point. And, because, and then they started to actually take those extra layers and prescribe them to everyone else. Mm. To say, if you don't do these extra things that we do, then you are sinning inherently. And that's yeah. not in the law, yeah. right? So, it, I mean, we do this today. If you want to if you want to avoid, you know, any kind of uh, movie that could cause you to stumble, mm-hmm. like that's that's okay. But it doesn't mean that any, you know, any kind of movie that you might not watch is not okay for somebody else, right? Right. Uh, you could be super legalistic about that, so we have to be careful about that. Um, but even today, there are 39 types of work that are forbidden by Orthodox Jews mm. to do on the Sabbath. They have all these categories, things like tying a knot, or <laughs> or writing more than one letter. <laughs> These things are are forbidden on the Sabbath, and in fact, when I was in Israel, I agree that one. Letters are letters take a lot of work to write. Oh yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I don't really like to write any letters <laughs> by hand. <laughs> um, but in Israel, when I when I was there, I I noticed that in some of these buildings on Sabbath, like they, they there was all the buttons were just pushed automatically. And so basically it would stop at every floor. And our teacher told us... Wait, they were pushed automatically? Yeah, so all the buttons were already like lit up. Oh. So, and and so it, instead of, you know, if you have, a, let's say you have a 50-story building, right. it's going to stop at floor one. Oh, my word. Then at floor two. Then it, right. And, and as it goes down, the same exact thing. And the reason for that is because pushing a button to make a machine work is doing work on a Sabbath. Oh, my word. Why, why didn't they just hire a Gentile to be the, the bell? I know. Well, <laughs> but you're not supposed to make Gentiles work on the Sabbath oh, either. So it's, and, and actually, my friend got yelled at when we were at the Western Wall. We went on a Sabbath. We went there a bunch of times. We went on a Sabbath, and he took a picture of the Western Wall oh. and got yelled at by this guy in one. They, they were these big Shabbat hats. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like these big like fur, weird like cheese hat things. And uh, and when it rains, they put like a trash bag over it, so it looks it looks ridiculous. Like the first time I saw it, I was like, "This is this a joke?" But it's not. It's very serious. But one of these guys yelled at my friend because pushing a button right. to take a picture—that's considered work—and he desecrated that holy place by doing that. So, Bummer. this I mean, this is still this kind of slavery to the law and this adding of mm-hmm. human rules yeah. is still a big thing. Right. 
And so Jesus is challenging that. He's saying this is not what the law is about. And in fact, he's going to say he's Lord of the Sabbath, meaning mm. the reason why the Sabbath was created was to bless and benefit men. Mm-hmm. And he is Lord over it. He's the one who's in charge of it. He's the one who gets to define it. Mm-hmm. And so he he kind of goes through, actually, there are reasons to break the Sabbath. Right. It's very interesting. But verse verse 4 of chapter 12, he says, um, he talks about David. Right. He says, do you not know what David did, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. So he says, there is a reason to break the Sabbath. He takes the example of bread in the temple, but he says there was a necessity. Mm-hmm. And so uh, rather than be, rather than think that the, the, this law of, you know, the only the priests eat the bread is so significant that you could let someone die of hunger. Right. The priest understood and allowed David to eat it. Right. right. So that was okay. The law of God, in other words, there's priorities within the law of God mm-hmm. that are understood. And so it's not designed to hurt people, but to bless people. Right. Verse 5, he talks about the, the need for ministry. He says, or have you not read in the law how the, on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? He's saying the, the priests work on the Sabbath right. because they have to. So there is a need for ministry to happen on the Sabbath, and that's okay. Right. Or verse 6, he talks about really the heart of it. He says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. So because Jesus is here, he's saying, I'm going to help you understand this. I'm going to give you clarity on this. And uh, verse 7 lays out I mean, a lot of what his ministry is all about. He says, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Hmm. So they are misunderstanding the entire point of the law, right. is what he is saying. It's meant to be a blessing to humanity, but also to point them to him. And now that he's here, they're missing who he is mm-hmm. and focusing on their own man-made laws right. that they've added to God's law. Uh, I love how he walks in the syn- their synagogue after this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like, let me teach you more. <laughs> <laughs> and he, yeah, and again, the opposition rises because he goes and heals someone on yeah. the Sabbath. And they're debating whether that's okay. It shows how warped their understanding of God's law has become yeah. that they don't think it's good to do, it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. They right. can't affirm that it's good to do good on the Sabbath. Right. Um, so, and then we see, we, we keep seeing more opposition, or we see opposition to uh, <laughs> over spiritual authority, mm-hmm. this, this demon oppressed man. Um, and, uh, oh, sorry, oh, sorry, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, right? So he heals this demon oppressed man. And then the Pharisees, they, they respond by saying, it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. And so he challenges that, right? He's saying, you're saying the work of the Holy Spirit is the work of. Satan, mm-hmm. and that doesn't even make logical sense why Satan would attack his own servants. Right. So he challenges that. Right. House divided can't stand. But then he ultimately says, um, "You've you've really crossed a line here. Mm-hmm. If you're going to accuse the work of the Holy Spirit as being um, as being evil, as being you know uh, the work of Satan, and so this is where he talks about the unforgivable sin, uh, which we could talk about too. But you know, time is a little bit limited. No. But he draws this line in the sand, right? Verse thirty: Whoever's not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. So he's he's saying, I'm the one in authority. You're challenging that authority and saying I'm doing Satan's work. Mm-hmm. And so you need to get you need to submit to my authority. They don't like that. That's not going to help be helpful right. to that relationship. <laughs> so, but it's truth. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And then uh, Jesus gives a, a challenge in starting in verse 33 of chapter 12. Right. He says essentially, show me by your works, by the fruit of your life whether you are righteous, mm-hmm. show me. And of course, no human can live up to that. And so he gives 
in verses 38 and following, he gives the sign of Jonah. Mm-hmm. And we discussed this when we went through the book of Jonah, of course, but um, the sign of Jonah being, th- this is what you're going to get. You're going to get the Son of Man put in the grave for three days, three nights, and he's going to be raised again, and that's going to be the sign to you. And and so we saw how that was in the book of Jonah, how this was a sign of their judgment mm-hmm. that, that Jonah was coming to them after he'd been in the belly of the whale, and it's going to be the same with Jesus. Right. Uh, salvation and judgment is clarified by the fact that he's raised from the dead. Yeah. So lots of stuff going on here, lots of... Uh, Lots of battle for authority, mm-hmm. and the, the leaders don't want to give that up. Yeah. So, yeah, so this, so this opposition that they have um, to God's plan actually fits in God's plan because it's going to lead to the crucifixion of Jesus, which is his enthronement mm-hmm. in the Gospel of Matthew. Yeah. And so that leads into chapter 13 as well. And so he, he goes through some parables. We won't focus as much on these parables, but... Um, the the parables are meant to bring out that opposition. He's he's constantly. I mean, for one thing, he's teaching in parables in order to cloud their understanding. Mm-hmm. So he says that to the spiritually blind, they will not understand these parables. Essentially, but for his disciples, he explains them and gives you know understanding of them so they can understand what he's saying. Mm-hmm. But throughout the parables themselves, he's constantly talking about this division within humanity that that's coming up because of his authority. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so, I mean, it it would be like we we can't even imagine a gospel without this kind of opposition to the religious authorities. And, yeah, yeah, but it's it's it is a strange thing to see God working His providence through this evilness, you know. Yeah, so I mean, kind of like Genesis, you know, you know, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, and yeah, yeah, it's an absolutely. awesome, it's a beautiful thing about the because it looks almost like yeah, like He's got a lot of control, but then it starts to fall apart in the Gospel of Matthew. Mm-hmm. But we got to see that this is all what God wants to to happen, right? And, uh, and we'll see that a little more in the next week as well. But, well, you know, uh, we could talk about these parables a lot, obviously, but just to, let's just take the two shortest parables that are back-to-back. They're, they're kind of sometimes known as fraternal twins because mm-hmm. uh, they're they're sounds like they're saying the same thing, but they're a little bit different. And they, they appear in uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. These are super short, and you can spend a lot of time meditating on these truths. But he says in uh, Matthew 13... 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So that's the first one. And the focus here is on the treasure itself, or the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. So the idea here is that the kingdom of God is worth everything. It's the treasure worth sacrificing everything for. The next passage is Matthew 13, 45. So this is the next verse. It says, again, a kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Hmm. So here this is different because the focus in the last one was on the treasure. They sound very similar, right? Mm-hmm. Almost the exact same. But the first one was about the treasure. The kingdom of God is like the treasure. Kingdom of heaven, I should say. The second one is about the merchant. Mm-hmm. Kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for a treasure. Mm-hmm. So in the first one, we see the worth of the kingdom. The kingdom is worth sacrificing everything for. But then we see in this one a different angle on the same idea, mm-hmm. which is that the kingdom of heaven is found through sacrifice, right? It's, you have to search for it, and you have to give everything for it. Mm. So it's it's interesting to think about, and I think you can also make the argument that he's, he's saying the kingdom of he- heaven is searching for its people yeah. in, in a personification there. Um, so yeah, so we see these parables and how Jesus gives deep meaning to them in order to... 
uh, clarify who his disciples are and who right. they aren't. Right. So, <clears throat> all right, and then we can get into the next section that the identity of the king, chapters fourteen to twenty, and uh, and here we see the feeding of the five thousand and the walking on water. Mm-hmm. We yeah. won't dig into them really, but there's lots of echoes of Moses here, and we'll see that a lot mm-hmm. in the Gospel of John when we get there. But this, you know, feeding the masses out in the wilderness, mm-hmm. you know, f- feeding them with food. This is a, a reminder of the manna stories, right? In, in the book of Exodus, and then walking on the water as well. There's more mm-hmm. echoes of, of Moses because there's actually, I think, linguistic connections in these stories to the Exodus story as well, where mm-hmm. they walk through the waters. Yeah. So Jesus is showing that he is the greater Moses mm-hmm. that's going to give them deliverance. Yep. Provide not just physical food, but spiritual food. Mm-hmm. So, chapter 15, that kind of heightens the conflict with the Pharisees. There's more and more conflict here. And then in, in verse 10, we see, again, this conflict about defilement. So uh, what's happening here is um, he, he, he wants to clarify where cleanness and uncleanness comes from. This is kind of a, uh, in line with that debate about Sabbath and other things, what makes someone unclean or clean. And what he's focusing on here is that external things aren't the problem. Mm-hmm. The problem is what's inside. Right. So going back to Old Testament law, which we've spent a lot of time on, mm-hmm. the point never was that it's about you know avoiding this or that thing. It was all a reminder to them, as we discussed, of ultimate cleanness or uncleanness spiritually. Right. And so he's reminding them of that. And religion always wants to focus on the rituals, the outside external things, yeah. or superstitious things. Right. But the, the truth is that the Old Testament law is very simple, in a sense. The, the main truths there, they're meant to uh, show us that the impurity in our hearts is what needs to be dealt with by God. Right. Yep. And so he's refocusing that again and again. So in chapter 16, we have the turning point of the gospel and sort of the, the hinge of the gospel. Mm. Um, which is, again, it's, it's common to the synoptics, where Jesus, Peter confesses Christ. Right. And so he, Jesus starts by asking them, 16, 13, he asks them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, you know, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So they're listing just, you know, what, do, what the people of that time would say. Mm-hmm. But then he turns the question and says, well, who do you say that I am? Right. And this is, of course, the, the crucial question mm-hmm. of every human to say, who do you say Jesus is? And Peter's confession is so important here. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Mm. He gets it right. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> he gets it right for once. And he's praised by Jesus. And this is where the gospel now begins to focus on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Mm. So there's always been sort of hints at it, but now Jesus is explicitly telling them, that he will die and be raised. Mm-hmm. So notice it in chapter 16, verse 21. It says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And of course, immediately, Peter undoes all of his great <laughs> work <laughs> by saying, you know, no, you can't do this. And Jesus calls him Satan. Satan. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, you know, interesting turn of events there. Yeah. But but the important thing for our discussion is that focus that's beginning to clarify of Jesus must die and be raised. Right. Yeah. So yeah, Peter Peter gets it right, but then um, Jesus says, "I'm going to build my church on you," and then he calls him Satan. That's so funny. Never <laughs> underestimate. <laughs> never underestimate Peter's ability to really mess things up that he he did so well. 
Okay, so then in chapter 17, we have the transfiguration, which is an amazing, amazing event where Jesus appears in his glory mm-hmm. just to his closest disciples. Yeah. Such a significant event because he's showing them a picture of who he is. He tells them, he tells them not to disclose it until after the, the resurrection, mm-hmm. so to keep it a secret. But Jesus appears in his glory with Moses and Elijah. Mm. And so he's, he's looking to the two kind of most prominent figures of the Old Testament, in a sense, those who, you know, Moses sums up the law and Elijah the prophets, and he's meeting with them and talking with them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Luke ta- tells us that he's, he talks about his exodus, right? He meets them and talks about his exodus. And so the disciples, of course, are confused, and Peter wants to, you know, I guess kind of worship all three of them and, <laughs> and gets rebuked. But, uh, but it's such an interesting section there where Jesus shows them a hint of what's going to happen. And so, again, verse 9, he says, Tell no one the vision hmm. until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. So there's the second time that Jesus is telling them he's going to be killed and raised from the dead. Again, they're not going to get this. He tells them like four know, times. They're not going to get like, it. And you see the acts of the disciples you know, during and after Jesus' death. And, man, you're like, Jesus had walked through this with them. I mean, yeah. it's not it's not crazy to think that humans forget stuff. We're forgetful as well all the time. You know? Yeah. But... It's pretty crazy. You think if your friend told you he was going to die and be raised later on that you'd remember that. But. Yeah. You might think it's crazy, but at least you, yeah, he would say that's what he thinks. And then we have the third prophecy of his death and resurrection in, in chapter 17, verse 22. Um, he says, you know, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Mm-hmm. So they probably maybe got the first part, what he was saying, but not the second part yeah. is, my, is my guess. Yeah. So, so he's been direct with them, but they're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the thing is he wants, he wants them to know in retrospect that this was all part of the plan. The guy was always in control. Right. Jesus came to die. Right. And that's essential to his kingship, right. as we'll look at uh, in future weeks. Yeah, it's awesome. It's also interesting, too, that you know, the gospel writers themselves laid out the narrative this way as well. Yeah. And, you know, Jesus told us, but we didn't even see it, right? So yeah. then yeah, come the fulfillment of what happened. Yeah, then we can actually share the world, share that with the world. Absolutely. Okay, so why is this significant for us? What's our application? Well, I think first of all, I would say that there's opposition to Jesus is going to be normal. Mm. I I just yeah. feel like so often uh, Christian churches will tend to start going away from Scripture, going more liberal, however you want to say it, because they're confused that the world is offended by the message of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and th- this this just should be the most obvious thing in the world, right? Jesus, in his perfection, in his divinity, um, in his wisdom, didn't avoid offending the world. Right. And in fact, he saw it as a really crucial part of his mission. Right. So the fact that we think that we can, I don't know, be be better than Jesus at that is kind of silly. Yeah. Of course, I'm not saying be intentionally offensive. I don't know of anyone, I'm sure there are people out there, but I don't really know (laughs) of anyone who wants to be offensive. Yeah. But this message is going to uh, stir people up. And so we have to expect that. No, it's good, and it's even good in an evangelistic sense too. Like, don't expect that everyone's going to love your message the first time you tell someone about Jesus. You know, yeah. But the people that God will call to His kingdom are going to respond. You know, so. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And then I would just ask the question. You know, with, uh, it would be sad to go past this without saying it or asking it. But who do you say that Jesus is? Hmm. I mean, you're studying the Scripture. Obviously, you're listening to this this podcast, watching this video. I mean, uh, who do you say that Jesus is? Um, how would you understand? 
uh, this incredible person. What you say about him is the most important thing yeah. about about you. So you have to say the the right thing. So Matthew's trying to help us answer that. Mm. And nothing can be more important than to, to focus on Jesus and to consider this question. Yeah, amen. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel, and we'll see you next week.